I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. There are actors who write, producers who direct, and cooks who campaign for social change. Stanley Tucci does all of these. He writes cookbooks, creates and hosts a beautiful TV series about Italy, and acts and directs movies that touch us all. Stanley Tucci is respected and admired by every chef in the River Cafe, especially me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ruthie, that's so nice. Now I... No. Can I leave now? Yeah, we can After finish. That, We're done. Yeah. We're done. Okay. Thank you. It gets better. Mentre il giorno non c'è più e la luna da lassù fa da specchio ai nostri baci. Se ti guardo dentro agli occhi, mentre già mi batte So what we can do is, would you please read the recipe oh that you've chosen? Of course. Mio caro l'amore, se tu mi batte... Mezze pacchi, caccio e pepe with langoustines. Serve six. 600 grams mezze pacchetti pasta, 60 grams unsalted butter, 150 grams pecorino, freshly grated, 400 grams medium langoustines cooked, peeled, and cut into pieces. Cook the pasta in plenty of water until al dente. When draining the pasta, reserve some of the cooking water for the sauce. Melt the butter with the pecorino in a large pan over a low heat, adding some of the pasta water to create a sauce. Add the langoustines to the pecorino sauce with black pepper. Add the hot pasta and mix until you have a glossy sauce coating the pasta, adding more pasta water if needed. Serve with extra pecorino grated on top. And it's also incredibly delicious. Mm -hmm. I just ate it. So, of all the recipes and all the cookbooks, and you eat here a lot, and you're a cook, what made you choose this recipe, Stanley? Well, lots of reasons. One is, that, as you say, you, you broke a rule, which is you don't really put cheese with seafood in Italy. I love pasta. I eat pasta practically every day, sometimes twice a day. I love langoustine. I love pecorino. Just made sense. Mm. It's a gorgeous recipe. Very few ingredients. Very few ingredients, but like most Italian cooking, it's yeah. incredibly few ingredients. I sometimes feel guilty that I'm using the same thing, but then when I look through cookbooks, I'm like, hmm. it's all the same. It's all the same thing, but the, but the the iterations, you know, yeah. the variations are extraordinary. Yeah. So your grandparents <laughs> came from? My grandparents came from Calabria, both sides. Were they together before they came, or did they meet? No, no, they met because they came. My mother's mother was three when she came to America, but her, my mother's father was in his mid-twenties when he came. They were about 13 years apart in age or something when they got married. I think she was 16 or 17 when she got married. And my dad's father came over in the early part of the first century, uh, and his 
wife, I think, was maybe already here at that time. Uh, and then they met and got married. But, you know, with the Italians, a lot of towns, entire towns, would basically move. To the same area. To the same area. It's one of the things we talk about in the show. We did an episode on London, because there are so many Italians in London. And Angela Hartnett did the show. She's half Welsh, half um, half Italian, or you know. But her family came from Bardi, and over eighty percent or ninety percent of the Welsh Italians came from that one town. Yeah. So they would just all yeah. move, and the same in America too, because one guy moves over, and then he brings. Yeah. His friend comes over, and they're getting work, and they bring their family over, and it just keeps... And did so growing up with your grandparents, were they involved in in the food that you ate? Did you yeah, I mean, we saw them, them every just about every yeah. week. Um, we'd go to visit them, and my maternal grandparents had this incredible garden where they seemed to be able to grow anything, any time of the year. My, my grandfather had a fig tree, beautiful fig tree. Fig tree in Katona. No, this was in Peekskill, but not yeah, far. Yeah, Peekskill, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they would take the fig tree, and in the winter, they would wrap the tree in plastic so that it would endure the winter. When I talk to people about who've immigrated from another country, they often talk more about the food of their grandparents than their parents because that's my my experience as well, mm. coming from a Jewish immigrant family from Russia and Hungary. My grandparents, I really remember their food. I don't think they really mastered English, much less yeah. the cooking of the United States. But my mother, you know, adapted and probably we as children rejected anything but American food. Yeah. And I think when you talk to people, it's interesting how the, the grandmother features. Mm. Did your, is that, or did your mother and father still have no, a very they, strong they, sense of Italy? Oh, yes, very much so. I mean, they didn't speak Italian. They, mm-hmm. the, my father could speak a bit of Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could understand dialect, because mm-hmm. that's what you know, both their parents mm-hmm. spoke. But my, my mother... Uh, swears to this day, and my my father told me that he goes, your mother couldn't cook when I met her, and I was like, what are you talking about? That's not. I don't believe that story. He said, no, Stanley, it actually is true, and my mother admits it. Now her mother was a brilliant cook. Obviously, my mother had this innate talent as well, and her cooking today, t- still today, is some of the best food I've ever had. She's at my house now. I know. I was really disappointed. Yeah, I know. I know. But we're, really, we're going to try I mean, I can't say I was come. disappointed to see you, because, yeah. <laughs> but I was disappointed that I didn't see them. You want to I, see my parents really more. Want, I yeah, I love you. meeting parents. I love meeting a yeah. parent of they're somebody so, I like. They're yeah. really great. And yeah. they're really extraordinary. Like my mom made a thing the other day that was just, you know, what Swiss, she Swiss chard. Yeah. Just Swiss chard. What did she do? Did she braise it? She boiled it? A little boiling of it. Yeah. And then a little bit of fresh tomato, olive oil, and a, a, a hint of garlic. Yeah. It's just one of the greatest yeah. things I've ever eaten. And I said, well, how did you do that? I, I try to do that, and I can't do it. She goes, oh. I was born in upstate New York, and yeah. you were born not far away. Yeah. My family were not Italian. Yours were. Yeah. But the food that we grew up with, thinking was Ita- as we knew it was Italian food. Mm. Would you say that was radically changed from when you actually went to Italy? And, you know, yeah, I mean, because I I grew up eating my family's food because they were from Italy. So yeah. there were, without question, there were similarities. Mm. But 
when I would go to friends' houses and have what they thought was Italian food, mm. it was horrifying. Mm. <laughs> it was, <all> right. <laughs> I mean, it was just bad, yeah. you know, because the ingredients were lousy and they didn't really understand it. Yeah. Yeah. For us, and I, you know, I grew up, you know, with meatballs and spaghetti and mm -hmm. an eggplant parmigiana and, and pro, you know, and yeah. it just was heavy and it was rich and it was that version of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of that Italian-American food came out of um, suddenly having access to large amounts of meat, having access to, to more. Mm -hmm. So more was added. Yeah. Right. Um, more sauce was added because the Italians don't put a lot of sauce really on pasta. You use a minimal amount for the most part. Whereas in America, things are loaded with sauce mm -hmm. or loaded with cheese or loaded with yeah. meat. And it was about, you know, it was a land of plenty. Yeah. And also I think they were, you know, catering to American mm -hmm. tastes. When did you start? Eating in restaurants. Do you remember when that kind of happened? Yeah, I started eating in restaurants when I no longer had to work in them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? As an actor, it's kind of what you did to make money. But working in them gave me a tremendous appreciation for them. And then finally, when I had a little bit of money and I could start going to restaurants, I really got excited about it because um, I all knew what was going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of part of the genesis of Big Night, which was, oh, it's almost 30 years ago now, mm -hmm. that movie. I wanted to write a story about the struggle between commerce and art. Mm -hmm. But you can't really do that with a painter because that is literally like watching paint dry. Uh, but you could use the chef as artist. Mm -hmm. And also, I, I like the idea of not the idea, the actuality that you have off stage and you have on stage in a restaurant, just like the theater. And I, I love that. I love that too. And there were many scenes that, you know, stay in my mind forever. But interestingly enough, one of my favorite scenes is the very first scene where you come out of the out of the front door, yeah. you having been inside, yeah. and isn't there a pot with plants in it? Yeah. And you move it a centimeter, yeah. you know? And I just thought, God, that reminds me of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really, it really did remind me of the way that sometimes before service, I walk out to the car park and then I walk in, mm. you know, just, just to look at the restaurant and just walk through that space, yeah. you know? I think that's, that's really important. The idea of space, a space, is crucial mm -hmm. in film. So if you try to make a food movie and you just show beautiful shots of food, it's of no consequence. If you show the thing that makes is if you actually look at the food in Big Night, it doesn't mm -hmm. look very good. Mm -hmm. What makes it work is the people's reaction to the food and then the fact that we're seeing them in that space. So, you know, you were married to an architect. Space is everything. It's one of the reasons your restaurant works so beautifully because the space envelops you but also opens you up. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm George, I'm a chef at the River Cafe. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you, Stanley. Your show is amazing, and I've watched it fully twice. We're very lucky to be able to cook for some amazing people in this restaurant, and we get uh, tickets come through with people's names. But probably the most exciting time I, a, a ticket came through with your name on it um, was when I had to make you an uh, artichoke Judea. Yes. Um, and I had literally the night before watched the episode in which you make them. The Rome episode. The Rome episode, yeah. yeah. And so I felt under a huge amount of pressure. Um, <laughs> so I actually got uh, our head chef, Danny, over um, and, ma- and made him do it with me from beginning to end. Really? Yeah, absolutely. But I had those. That wasn't that long ago. No, no, it was recently. Was it was recently. Right? Yeah, yeah. I just recently. had them here. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe a month or so ago. Yeah, yeah. It was- Delicious. Oh, thank you. No, it was thank great. <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked the show. That's really, that's great. You know, obviously, you know what you're doing. And the fact that you like the show, that you appreciate it, that's, that's wonderful. Tell me about the series. What, what well, would you like to say? It was an about? idea that I had for a, a long time. I think it's probably about 13, 15 years ago that I had this idea that you'd go th- to, uh, through every region and you'd break down that region through the food. At, but relate it to, um, or, or at how how does the food relate to politics, to socioeconomics, to topography, to history, to art, to whatever? And I kept thinking. I wrote some notes about it, and then CNN came to me, and they said, uh, "Do you have any ideas for a show?" I gave them three ideas. One was about refugees and food, and. You know, they sort of went like, mm-hmm, I don't think so. Uh, and then one was a documentary about cancer. Because um, my wife died, my first wife died of cancer. I had just gone through cancer treatments. I had so many friends who, you know. And we know it's basically, a, you know, an epidemic, you know. So those two ideas they didn't care for. And then I said, well, I have this idea about Italy and, you know, going through every region and breaking it down, as I said. And they went, okay. <laughs> okay. No one had really done it before. Mm. We didn't know. I, I think that a lot of people don't know. I think a lot of Americans don't know 
that Italy isn't just pizza and pasta, and it isn't sunny all the time, and not everybody's happy and hugging each other all the time, and not everyone's a mafioso. Mm. Mm. There are these two sort of polarities that Americans see, and I wanted to hope, I hope to sort of dispel those. And also inform us about the, region, the serious regionality of oh, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I do think probably in the north of France you eat very differently than you eat in Provence, and that oh, yeah. in Greece, probably on Hydra, you would eat differently than in Athens. But in Italy, it's yeah. very, very regional yeah. and fiercely so. And as I, I think I told you the other day that we had I met somebody who'd never had tomato sauce until she was 14. That's right. And she because lived, she from she lived from Verona. Northern, northern mm-hmm. Italy, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So the image, and I think that's what you've done, you know. Um, so what is your next? Well, we're going next to Puglia and Calabria. Mm. And my parents are going to come with me to Calabria. Will they be in the film? Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we do Liguria and Sardinia. And then we do a feast where everyone comes together. So all the chefs... Not all the chefs. Yeah. We take a person from each region. So how many would that be? It, it'll be a total of about, well, we'll have done 13 regions. Mm-hmm. We're not doing all 20 mm-hmm. regions. Mm-hmm. You, you can't do all 20 regions. Mm-hmm. But we're doing 13. So we'll have 13 different chefs or cooks mm-hmm. come, uh, or a, a vintner, two, uh, two vintners. So it'll be some sort of place that has a substantial kitchen, mm-hmm. lots of outdoor space. Mm-hmm. I want to have or build three different outdoor fires mm-hmm. so somebody can like do a goat or whatever on a spit mm-hmm. somebody can grill something and somebody can bake something in a mm-hmm. wood fired oven mm-hmm. and then a proper restaurant kitchen mm-hmm. and it'll all be at one long table and everyone they'll all cook for each other they each have a course and they'll cook each has each a other. course each has a course so in you, essence so, so you, you know might. you, you know Um, We might actually do, we're going to do probably four different kinds of pasta. Mm -hmm. And you, the guests can choose what they want. Mm -hmm. If they're, if they want to have all four, they can have all four. Who are the guests? You know, the guests, they are the guests. I see. So so they cook for each other. And, but there are a few other people that we're taking from the shows as well, who were, who were contributors. Yeah. 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 So the idea is that you unite Italy at the table. Because the the whole thing is called searching for Italy. But really, in the end, what I realized was that search, Italy doesn't exist. It only exists at the table. That's where Italy is. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Have you done kind of deals in a restaurant? Michael Caine said that in the old days, you would never sign up for a movie unless it was in a restaurant. I don't know if that exists anymore. I have had, I have had that happen, but no, I think that might be a more British thing than an American thing. Oh, he, I mean, oh, he was saying it was Hollywood. It was old-time Hollywood. Oh, really? Oh, you'd baby, go, Was there yeah. a restaurant called Chasen's or something oh, that yes, you would right, go yeah. to? And, yeah. you know, but then I asked younger people. They said, no. No, no it's no, not, no, it's no, not no, like you that You do it anymore. on Zoom. Or, uh, I but, do remember going to Hollywood, though, the first time, uh, you know, it was 34, uh, you know, I don't know, 36 years ago, and I hated it right away. Yeah. And But everyone was going out to lunch all the time. Hmm. But they weren't really eating or drinking. The whole thing was weird to me. I was like, well, why are we at lunch? Yeah. What's the point? Richard once went, to, we were taken by an architect, Philip Johnson, to the Four Seasons in New York. Mm. And we walked in and we thought, wow, you saw, you know, the great people of leaders of society mm. and profession. And everybody was having cottage cheese and iced tea. Oh, it's so you know, boring. It was iced tea. And Richard ordered a glass of wine and they really thought he was an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. Know? It was just not done. But that's L.A. Know? too. Also, L.A., people are driving mm, too. Yeah. Maybe not so much anymore yeah. with Uber and all that. But, mm. but yeah, it just wasn't. And it was... I found it just incredibly cold, and the although there are some amazing restaurants in mm, LA, mm. but it wasn't um, just not it wasn't. But fun. it's also quite revealing how a person behaves in a restaurant. I always used to say in the early days of having a restaurant that you could tell a lot of Americans um, in the River Cafe had at one time in their life worked in a restaurant because oh, really? they were nice. <laughs> they were just, yeah. they, they, I'm not saying the British weren't nice, but having worked in a restaurant, it does make you more tolerant, don't you think? Yes, you know without question. what it's like. Yeah, you have to know how hard that is. Yeah. I think particularly in America too, because the pay is so bad mm. and you're relying on your tips mm. and it's really, really hard work mm. having worked as a, a busboy and a mm. bartender and a, you know, mm. plongeur. We think about food and and hunger, and it's also mental health and it's also physical health. Mm. And we eat in times of pain, we eat in times of discomfort. And, and you referred just now to the fact that you had cancer and that your wife died of mm-hmm. cancer. Um, how did you see illness and how did illness affect your attitude or your f- food for you? Well, I think when anybody's sick, even if it's just a cold or a flu, you instantly say, do I want me to make you some chicken soup? Mm. Right? It's the first thing, mm. you know, you do. Or I'll always say, do you, do you want this? Are you feeling hungry? Are you mm. feeling, why does your stomach hurt? Do mm. you want this? And, and sometimes it's a, te- it's a test, mm. too. If they go, no, the kid in particular would go, no. I don't, I don't want that. I don't. And then you know something's really wrong. 
you know, do you go, would you like a chocolate? You know, and they mm-hmm. go, no, I don't want a chocolate. You go, okay, let's go to the doctor. So, you know, um, but I think uh, it was, you know, in the end, uh, well, Kate went through so many different treatments and, you know, going through chemo and radiation and all that stuff made her very nauseous and she couldn't eat a lot at times and then she would recover and then the cancer would present itself again and then it was, she'd go through the process again. It was horrible. Um, when I went through mine, because it was an oral cancer, all the treatment was focused on my mouth. So I lost everything. You don't only lose your sense of taste. Your your sense of taste is destroyed and perverted mm. so that everything tastes like you know what mm. uh, for months. Mm. And plus your mouth is so compromised, you're in so much pain, you're on pain medications and all that stuff. And you have a feeding tube, you're trying to put protein drinks through your feeding tube, which are mm. disgusting. And not that you're tasting them, but they're upsetting mm. your stomach and then there's morphine you're putting through. It's just a, it's a nightmare. And for me, it was a real nightmare because food is everything to me. It's now how most of my life. And not to be able to eat properly, not to be able to, everything smelled horrible, tasted horrible, and, and not to be able to sit and eat with my friends and drink with my friends and cook for my family. It was really, really hard. And did that come back? It, well, it it's obviously all back. came back. But how did it just come back and you embraced it or was it it's slow? Hard it was to, very slow. Yeah. It's still not. I, mm. I'm almost four years out mm. from uh, finishing my treatments. And I still, last night I made lamb chops. I didn't really eat them. Yeah, I yeah. can't really, because you lose your saliva. Mm. So I don't have all of my saliva. Mm. So if you don't have your saliva, mm. it's very hard to break things down. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I eat a lot of pasta, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I can eat. It just depends. You sure. definitely cannot eat spice. Yeah. Even that pepper today. Was on it the, too much? Well, it was delicious if it were a normal person. Yeah. But But because my mouth is so sure. hypersensitive yeah. that, you know, I ate it very slow. Mm. You have to eat it very slowly. Mm. Uh, mm. And you're sort of drinking lots of water with it and all that sort of mm. stuff. Mm. But. That's just the way it is. I'm probably at the point now where this is about where I'm going to be. I don't mm. know how much m- more I will recover, mm. but mm. it's fine. Yeah. I can eat most things. I can drink wine. I can have a martini slowly. Mm. It's mm. fine. Negroni. Negronis, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know about the Negroni. It's, it's my love of food, my desire to know more about it has just grown. So it's it's sort of all I think about, and it's it's very much how I spend my time now. And, you know, I had people over last night, and I fell asleep with terrible anxiety because I wasn't happy with the meal I cooked. And they said it was good. Do I believe them? I don't know. And also, not just the meal, but also the fact that I kept getting up and sort of trying to time things, and whereas I should have just made a stew, served it, with polenta and sat down and that's the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. I had a cousin who came from Italy, apparently, a young kid who came and he stayed with some friends and when they were told that he asked what they're having for lunch and they didn't include pasta. He cried. He cried. He was about 12 and he just cried because for him, pasta was just, you know, so important. I don't know what the the British or, you know, what what the equivalent would be. 
Sausages and yeah. Matt, yeah, sausages. 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 My kids yeah. who are they half, love the little sausages. ones, half British, yeah. yeah, they have sausages. Oh my God, please! It's it's like we're it's, it's I feel like I'm Fagan, you yeah. know, just you know, huh. you know, doling out sausages sausage. all the time. Sweet. Yeah, I think that if food can be painful, if food can be restorative, yes. if food is an expression of love for our children, food can be memory of your grandparents. It is also, what we've been saying, it's comfort. And yeah. so I suppose my last question to you after a really lovely afternoon, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, is to ask you what Stanley Tucci would be your comfort food. It's probably something that you love as well, which is pasta with tomato. Pasta, pasta, pasta marinara, pasta with a really simple tomato sauce and a little parmigiano. And that's it. It makes me so comforted. Well, it is definitely mine. So yeah. let's have it together, All right, whether we need comfort right. or not. Yeah. Okay. Thank <laughs> you, yes. Stanley. Thank, Thank you, you. Thank you so much. Thank you. To visit the online shop of The River Café, go to shoptherivercafé.co.uk. Mentre già mi batte il cuore e ti dico che per me stare insieme qui con te al sapore dell'amore. River Café Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P, dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.